0: Greetings, fans of the esoteric, and welcome to chapter four of my audiobook, Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer. We are on chapter red, red wine.
1: Is that all right, Bernard? Very nice, yes. All right, you've got, you've got your book
0: open. Yes. Oh, and if you want to read along, it's on Amazon, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And it's called Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer. It's only 1.99. Least you can do is pop me a 199. I think
1: so. I I do agree. Oh, I get to play myself.
0: Yes, you do. Yes, there's quite a lot of Bernard in this one. All Mm -hmm. right, here we go. Exciting. All right. This red, red
1: wine. You have to start, Bernard. I I was was leaving a pause for dramatic effect. Okay, sorry. Magenta,
0: are you all right, darling? You seem a little tense. Bernard inquires as we stand on the doorstep of his boss's townhouse in Crouch End, waiting to be let in. The entrance is flanked by a pair of Egyptian stone cats, and there are runes carved into the lintel above the door. "'What's all this naff shit about?' I asked Bernard, gesturing. "'My tone is a bit brisker than normal. Involvement in a murder case seems to make me snappy, as does lying to my husband about my activities.'"
1: Well, that's why he's so keen to meet you.
0: Bernard smiles, pleased at the thought.
1: Roger's mother was an archaeologist and an amateur occultist. He's always asking about your work. I wouldn't be surprised if you get some business out of tonight. Bernard purses his lips. Although, on second thoughts, I'm not sure it's a good idea. You having sessions with my boss. You can be rather
0: blunt... And Roger is a bit... Don't worry, Bernard, I say brusquely. I'm not getting involved with your work colleagues. Let's not complicate life, eh? I attempt to smile, face a little stiff. Bernard squeezes my arm companionably and leans in to peck my cheek just as the door swings open. Oh. You'll have to be Roger oh, as well. How shall I do Roger? Well, Roger's... You know Roger. He's well, your
1: boss. Yeah, he's a
0: blowhard, isn't he? He, he is he? a bit of a blowhard. So, you know, sort of... Go on. All right, I'll, uh,
1: I'll, I'll just do an impression of Roger, Yes, shall go on. I? Look at the lovebirds!
0: Booms a tiny little man with a snub nose, his arms spread wide in greeting, his white silk shirt almost translucent in the porch light. Bernard's boss looks like a squashed, bearded Michael Flatley.
1: Snogging on my doorstep, eh? <laughs> he
0: laughs heartily at his non-joke. Come in, come in. I've never met Roger before, but I can immediately see he's overcompensating. To combat the fact that he looks like he should be wearing a red hat and sitting on a toadstool, he's positively oozing alpha male vibes. It's all there, the gym-toned physique, the booming voice, the expansive body language. He's even wearing PVC trousers, and I can definitely see his nipples through that shirt. Sweet Jesus! Roger moves to the side of the doorframe to allow us to pass although not far enough away to make it comfortable. So short is he that my bosoms actually slot under his chin as I squeeze past. Sorry, I squeak, when actually I mean, get out of the bloody way.
1: Don't apologise.
0: He leers, and I bite back a reply. I'm on best behaviour tonight, so alienating the boss right off the bat isn't in the plan. Once inside, me and Bernard grind to a halt in amazement. Welcome to my humble abode, Roger exclaims. Give me your coats. "'Good heavens,' I say faintly, slowly removing my jacket. "'Look at all the... signs of a disturbed personality. "'Lovely things!' "'I have to say, though, the eleven-year-old me would have loved it, "'whereas the older me finds gaudy esoterica merely a reminder of my day job.' Roger's spacious entrance hall doesn't look like an entrance hall. It looks like an Egyptian tomb, with a dusty stone floor, walls covered in murals and hieroglyphs, and most creepily of all, an abundance of death masks, their painted eyes staring blankly from atop their podiums.
1: ''Let me
0: take that!'' Roger exclaims, seizing my coat. He pulls open an upright sarcophagus next to the entrance and hangs it inside. It's a very real-looking sarcophagus, considering he's evidently glued a load of coat hooks to the interior. Unless he's got an incredible prop designer, Roger appears to have desecrated a load of ancient artefacts. Still, could be worse. Could be bloody Kath Kidson. I find the trend for decorating one's house in the style of an oppressed suburban American housewife from the fifties baffling. It's not just furniture either. My teenage daughter came home from uni with her hair in a victory roll last month and told me that corsets and waist training are back in fashion. What next? Iron chastity belts and scarlet A's branded onto foreheads. She told me it's a way of reclaiming femininity, of turning the symbols of oppression on their head and making them empowering. So I gave her all my laundry to do and told her where the ironing board is. (laughs) isn't mummy funny? Hmm?
1: "'Wait until you see the rest of the house!' Roger
0: grins, volume now merely at a partially deafening, and strides across the dusty floor to a pair of heavy wooden doors, the sort that might be found at the entrance of a crypt in a Hammer Horror movie. Roger cracks one of them open and slips in ahead of us. The room beyond is dim, and the faint sound of cascading water can be heard. Bernard and I exchange a look before scuttling after our host.
1: "'Blimey!'
0: Bernard exclaims. We stop and stare around us in amazement. The living room is worse than the entrance hall. It's straight from the set of labyrinth. One almost expects Bowie to leap out in tights. Or is it Bowie, dear? Well,
1: the trouble is he said both. Did he? Yes. He didn't know himself. No, at different times he said both. I think he most often said Bowie.
0: Such a mercurial man. Normally, back to the book, normally I like a touch of the ostentatious in the right context. As it is, this feels more like stage one of indoctrination into a cult. This is... wow. What what, what would you call this? Bernard asks, looking round in amazement. Worrying, I mutter.
1: Well, Bernard...
0: Roger smiles toothily at my husband.
1: Glad you asked. In a nutshell, this room is influenced by Gaia. You know, earth magic. The call of our pagan roots. Essentially, I'm trying to communicate an ancient state of naturalness and interconnectivity through my design aesthetic.
0: Roger trots this little speech out like a bad actor, as in with smooth charm and an absence behind the eyes. Despite this, I find myself nodding along as if this hippy-dippy explanation wasn't absurd for a man who runs a lucrative security firm that specialises in highly dangerous Middle Eastern operations. Gaia, eh? Oh, what a clever idea, I lie. Well, it's Bernard's boss. One has to play the game. Please. Roger smarms, walking over to a sideboard carved with fornicating satyrs and nymphs. Take
1: a closer look while I fix us a drink.
0: It's not actually that easy to see everything, as much of the room is hidden in shadows and mist. Mist? Roger, I screech, something's on fire! Roger spins round, clearly alarmed. What? Look, I say, gesturing wildly before grabbing Bernard's arm and steering him towards the door. Roger laughs. (laughs)
1: It's just a smoke machine, Magenta. Nothing to worry about. I
0: stop. A smoke machine. In his living room. Right, I grumble. Very dramatic. Bernard supplies. And, um, I
1: I like the ceiling.
0: He says, pointing up. The gloom is mainly due to the fake woodland canopy where the ceiling should be, light fittings disguised behind twisted vines and leaves, so that only weak rays penetrate the murk. Many thanks. Roger murmurs. The strongest light in the room comes from an uplit water feature in the centre, where a normal person might have a coffee table. A glistening fountain of water vomits from the mouth of a naked stone dryad in the centre and into the artfully rocky pool below.
1: The kitchen is Mesopotamian,
0: adds Roger, now holding a decanter.
1: And the bedrooms are... Well, maybe we should have a few drinks before I show you them, eh? Eh?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I laugh, suddenly wishing I hadn't revealed quite so much cleavage tonight. If the living room is covered in big-donged satyrs, God only knows what the bedrooms are like. An Alistair Crowley theme park, probably. I hope he doesn't suggest we all do something unsavoury after dinner. Bernard is shaking his head in a politely bemused fashion.
1: Wow, Roger, I I knew you were interested in ancient cultures and stuff, but I didn't realise the extent. This place is...
0: wow. Bernard looks around the room with great enthusiasm because he's a nice man who wouldn't want to offend. Though we'll undoubtedly have a laugh and a bitch about this later. He might be nice, but he's not a complete ninny. I'm
1: glad you both like it.
0: Roger Smarms, though we haven't actually said that. Personally, I'm starting to get the heebie-jeebies. I'm even fingering the letter opener I keep in my bag in case Roger suddenly leaps on us and demands a blood sacrifice. Unaware of the fact I'm prepared to stab him in the eye, always aim for the eyes, Roger turns back to the sideboard and starts messing around with goblets. An uncomfortable lengthy silence descends while Bernard and I struggle to think of anything to say. The decor is just too distracting, and it did seem ridiculous to ignore it and refer to anything else. "'But what more can one say after wow?' "'Bernard makes a rueful face at me, and I do the same back to him. "'Then I pretend to look in my handbag for something to do. "'A faint glug-glug penetrates the hush "'as Roger pours wine from the decanter into the goblets. "'Bernard clears his throat while I scuff my shoe "'against the strangely spongy floor. "'I think it's made out of that dark green stuff "'that floristic flowers into. "'Roger slowly replaces the glass stopper in the decanter "'with a scrape of glass.' Jesus Christ, he's really taking a sweet time with this. Can't he fix drinks and speak simultaneously? The silence is deafening. Magenta. Bernard whispers in my ear.
1: You're humming.
0: Whoopsie, I whisper back. I unconsciously emit a droning noise when uncomfortable. It only tends to happen in social situations with people I have to be polite to, which, granted, doesn't occur much because I generally say what I think. Because why bother censoring yourself? To trick people into liking you? Unless there's financial reasons for doing so, such as with Roger, I don't see the point. Roger strides over to where we're awkwardly hovering and thrusts the tray of goblets towards us.
1: Blood of the Virgin?
0: He states impishly and then explodes into irritating laughter. (laughs) The shock on your faces! I'm kidding, kiddos. Chillax! It's just red wine. Roger winks rakishly. For the record, our faces haven't actually changed at all. I can't see myself, of course, but I imagine I'm reflecting Bernard's look of constipated politeness. Roger continues, swirling his wine and sporadically flicking his tongue against the surface, which I'm fairly sure isn't how the experts do it.
1: I think you'll like it. Flick! It's a little something I picked up in the flimflam region of France last time I popped over. Hmm.
0: He inhales the scent of the wine with his eyes closed.
1: Cherries, petrol, the scuffed knees of French urchins.
0: In goes his tongue for another reptilian taste.
1: Yes, yes. An excellent chateau de boffe de boobity-doo, 82. Or
0: something like that. I don't know much about wine. I rate it by how easily I can pour it down my throat without gagging. I reach for a goblet and almost immediately drop it, having misjudged the heft of the thing. It must be made out of pewter, it weighs a bloody ton. Red wine sloshes over the side and soaks into the spongy flooring, but Roger doesn't notice, thankfully, as he's striding towards the fountain.
1: Sit. Relax.
0: He commands with a flourish, motioning us towards what looks like a cross between a daybed and a Midsummer Night's bower. It's not so much a sofa as a decorative compost heap.
1: Voilà, a sofa tres unique, nest sur pas, we? We? Uh, oui.
0: Bernard obediently murmurs as we head over and lower ourselves gingerly, and then lower ourselves a bit more, and then a bit more. It's very low to the ground, isn't it? I grunt, thigh muscles working overtime. My bottom eventually makes contact with a velvety scrunch of fake foliage.
1: Guys, just relax.
0: Roger commands once more as Bernard and I shuffle around, our questing posteriors searching for some semblance of comfort.
1: Relax into the sofa! Roger
0: insists.
1: Relax. At
0: which point Bernard lurches into me and accidentally buries an elbow in a tit. Oh god, sorry love. Oh oh god. Mm. I hiss through gritted teeth, eyes watering. Engage your core muscles. Roger provides in a helpful voice.
1: It's a wonderful sofa for improving posture.
0: Roger has chosen not to improve his posture today and is instead perching opposite us on the lip of the fountain. Stubby, leather-clad legs spread wide. He strokes his neat little beard and grins. <laughs> Roger supplies for no discernible reason. Uh, isn't this nice? I'm starting to get the impression Roger isn't very socially adept. So, I say, not so much slipping into small talk as desperately groping for it. Are you married, Roger? It feels utterly incongruous asking such mundane questions in this environment, but I'm genuinely curious whether Roger's house is purely the product of his own disastrous taste, or whether he's actually found someone mad enough to collaborate with. I sip at my wine, which it turns out tastes of wine, almost dislocating my wrist in the process. Maybe that's why Roger was lapping at it, like a cat, the damn goblets too heavy to tip.
1: Alas, divorced.
0: Roger sighs theatrically, doing a sad face.
1: Oh, she was too good for the likes of me. Goji berry.
0: Sorry, I say confused. Maybe that's her name, bloody hippies.
1: Or some wasabi peas, perhaps.
0: Adds Roger, indicating a tree stump to one side of the sofa compost bower, on top of which sits a couple of bowls of snacks. I reach forward for a handful of peas, spotting a large grey squirrel squatting right next to the bowl as I do so. Oh, bloody hell, I shriek at the unexpected rodent, pitching backwards in surprise. My goblet thuds to the floor like a breeze block, leaving a sizeable dent. What's the matter? Bernard cries, reaching for me as I roll about, accidentally fisting a boob again. The same one, in fact. Oh, God. Ow. I'm so, Ow. so sorry. Oh. Through streaming eyes, I catch a glimpse of the beast, its wicked little eyes still staring directly at me, their depths glinting from the reflected light of the fountain. I point with my free hand, the other one clutching at my chest. Squirrel, I croak. There's a brief silence before Roger bursts into guffaws. (laughs) It's taxidermied, Magenta! He's been stuffed! It's not real! Look! Roger snatches up the creature and wiggles its stiff form about. See? He
1: won't hurt you! (laughs) Nothing to be scared of!
0: I wasn't scared! I protest, foolishly. It just startled me, that's all. I wasn't expecting it especially as normally I would have known if a squirrel was in the room. Because I'd have heard its inane chatter. But there's a distinct absence of little voices in this house. Despite the decor's emphasis on Mother Nature, the only living creatures here are human. Not even the whispery meanderings of a money spider can be heard, which is remarkable considering the amount of dark corners in this room. In fact, beyond the tinkling of the fountain, the silence has a rather eerie depth. No wonder I was humming earlier. "'I'm sorry, Magenta. I did not mean to frighten you.' Roger squeals in an approximation of a cartoon squirrel, still wiggling the dratted squirrel cadaver and giggling. "'That's all right,' I say stiffly, feeling stupid and miffed. "'Just don't do it again, horrid little beast.' "'Not a fan of animals, then?' grins Roger, misunderstanding who I was referring to. Uh, "'No, no, no, Magenta loves them,' says Bernard.
1: "'We have a dog, actually. Dave, a Border Terrier.' He's part of the family, but he's especially attached to magenta.
0: Ah! Roderick sails eyes
1: wide. You have a familiar?
0: No, not at all. I insist pleasantly through gritted teeth. Just a dog. He doesn't operate as a witch's familiar, because I'm not a witch, because there's no such thing.
1: Okay.
0: Says Roger, smiling. I smile back. We smile at each other. It's all very weird. Bernard shifts uneasily. Perhaps the idea that Dave is my familiar has discomforted him. He knows about my newfound do-little powers, of course. I told him as soon as it happened. He's fine with it, but it's understandably unnerved him. Consequently, I haven't told him about the repeated trips to meet Eldris, as I don't want to worry him unnecessarily. As far as he's aware, me and Dave just have little chats about nothing of consequence, and the rest of the animals I encounter merely chunter mindlessly about sex and animal-to-animal violence. That bit's completely true bernard has been through enough because of my powers i don't want to bernard him <laughs> i don't want to bernard him
1: i'm afraid i'm thoroughly Bernarded my dear
0: <laughs> i don't want to burden him any further poor old bernard he's never doubted me when my first dead husband appeared as a ghost last year bernard couldn't see or hear him but he instantly believed me when i told him about it He later saw the furniture being thrown about by invisible forces, so he did have some kind of proof I wasn't just making it all up. But even without that, he'd have taken me at my word. It isn't that Bernard has some kind of blind belief in the occult, but he certainly has a fairly unshakable belief in me. Twenty years of no-nonsense, straightforward communication means we trust each other, I suppose, which makes my omissions about Eldris even more guilt-inducing. Dinner! Roger suddenly bellows, springing up and slapping his hands on his thighs with a plastic crack.
1: Follow me, kidaroos, to the dining room.
0: And that's the end of the chapter.
1: I enjoy that chapter. I do like... You know, this is something of a thrill doing, Roger.
0: Oh, really? Well, what, maybe... being some god-awful alpha male? Oh,
1: God, no, I wouldn't want to be him, but it's um, it is almost a bit, like, I feel like a bit of a, re- a rebel doing an impression of him.
0: Well, I, I'd say, Bernard, what with stealing cars and things, you are a bit of a rebel now. Oh, if uh, you don't know what I'm referring to, you need to go and listen to Magenta Helps Her Tragic Fans, which is my other podcast.
1: Well, I suppose it's it's on the same um, RSS feed.
0: Well, the alternating podcast episode, anyway. Yes. Yes. So, yes, I think you're well and truly in the rebel category, Bernard. Thank you. I'm not sure that's a compliment.
1: The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.
2: Greetings. I am the modestly handsome obituary writer of this fetching town of Crestfall, Idaho, And this is death by dying. Death is exhausting. And so, after a long day of funeral attending, I had retired to my apartment to get some shut-eye. I loosened my Versace tie and changed into my Egyptian silk pajamas.
1: Are you the detective in town?
2: No, I'm the obituary writer.
1: Really? Someone said you solve murder cases. Murder? I'm Charlotte, by the way.
2: Forgive me, but I haven't gotten past the murder part. Charlotte, the friend I now have, is staying in the apartment above her Aunt Lillian's bookshop.
0: She was my aunt. She
1: was all I had growing up. I need to know why she's gone.
2: Murder is the spice of life. I knew just who I had to see. The Angel of Death. We have become friends over the years. Careful. Death is ever present. Her pet. The button-eyed raven moaned inconsolably as usual. Your friends are abandoning you, one by one.
0: You write about death, O.W., but how much do you know about what it feels like to lose someone?
2: The Shadow in the Dark Woods is making its way into Crestfall. Listen to Death by Dying on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher.